Chance on for Merchant, all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What about that? Welcome to For Fox 8, my name is Pete Selby and alongside me, Rob Hayes. Rob, how are we doing after this dramatic downturn in form or have you stopped crying? Oh, it's terrible. What a horrible time to be a Leicester <laughs> fan, isn't it? Two two games since we last spoke on the podcast and just a single, solitary, miserable point. What, what an awful, awful run of form. Yeah, quite predictable as well during those games, just said to you just before we started to record. You could signpost the goals against Coventry and, and the same against Ipswich, just familiar against Ipswich to the game on Boxing Day. And then, obviously, against Coventry when you're down to 10 men. And you just felt, in the in, in like the three or four minutes before they conceded the second, that it was coming. All of a sudden, there was just a, a dramatic change in the way the game was being played in who was being on, who, who was on top. And it was going to be right. Hang on, is there a chance of Leicester... Maybe grabbing a winner here. Are they going to be able to keep the ball? Are they going to be able to see out the game and maybe just just keep it to one one? And then the answer quickly became no. Um, as soon as they scored the equaliser, really, it was just one way traffic. And then you play Ipswich on Monday nights, big crowd on technically on Monday night football because it was the Love Sky game, but the, the, the Premier League game was. Was on uh, was either TNT or whatever, but not really bothered because obviously it's Leicester we're all about. And again, it was a game where the the negative thinking Leicester fan, which is I think probably all of us, um, you know, you might say pessimistic fan, whatever, would be thinking that there's going to be an equaliser. I think everyone, when you're winning one nil, has that in them. Well, certainly, I do definitely. But um, it was coming, wasn't it? It really was. As soon as the last 20 minutes started um, when Ipswich really grew into the game and Leicester lost their control, of which they had an awful lot of. That's when you thought, hang on, they're going to concede here. But then it still came as a as a bit of a shock the way it happened. And then as soon as it hit the back of the net, you had that two or three seconds and then all of a sudden it's like the realisation hit. But Rob, we are still seven points clear. So it's... I don't want to keep on sounding repetitive about things, but we, we've said this so often this season, when we've had the um, the setbacks as they are, which you're going to have in every single season, you're not, you're not going to win every single game, but when the setbacks have happened, first of all, we've corrected them pretty quickly and then got on nice runs, but also the setback of being seven points clear rather than nine points clear. And that's the luxury that, Leicester have got because of the hard work that they put in at the beginning of the season because of the runs of form that they enjoyed before Christmas because like you said there's always going to be ups and downs and what we've managed to do so far is make sure that the ups were better than anybody else's so that you have a cushion for when you hit a downturn in form because obviously quite significantly below us but in that midsection of the championship, as it always seems to be the case, teams in there can't afford to to 
to and we're not on a terrible run don't, don't get me wrong but you know they can't afford to go even three or four games without a win because they can find themselves falling about 10 places now I can't see for a second Leicester getting dragged anywhere near that um and and yes the gap between us uh, uh and Ipswich and Southampton is a bit smaller now as a result of the last few games but the gap was there as a buffer as a as a comfort blanket, really, and it's not, it, yeah, yeah, blanket. but it's one that we deserved because we we beat pretty much everybody else in front of us for for however long. So, it, you know, these things are always going to even themselves out throughout the season. I don't think anybody in their right mind believed that Leicester would continue to stretch that advantage further. It it would have been highly unlikely. Uh, and um, you know maybe I'll be proved wrong in the next few months, but I think it would would have been highly unlikely for that gap to be so significantly large or get any larger, because it's football, it's a competitive division, the championship, and whilst we will sing till the cows come home on this podcast about the fact that we've got the best squad in the league, uh, and and we should beat everybody, it it's never ever the case. So. Whilst we might have a little grumble today, and I've I've got a few interesting stats to throw you away in a, in a few minutes, but the the reality is we're still very comfortable at the top of the league, and I think actually, in in some ways, the fact that the gap's getting a little bit smaller, Southampton are on an unbelievable run of form, a club record run of form, uh, and Ipswich have just continued with the momentum of last season. I think in in some ways that will force the Leicester players to to add a few um, extra percent into their performances because there is, in, in any level of sport, you, you can get too comfortable. However much the manager says, oh, we're, we're driving the players, we're working hard every day. Yeah, I'm sure you are. But with something to play for and something to fight for, you, you're going to have that extra little bit of an edge. And you're right when you say we've responded very well to a couple of negative results earlier on in the season so it's not all doom and gloom we're we're still top of the championship come on yeah it's not all doom and gloom just to give you some idea about the runs of the teams around us four on the bounce leads have won after their little slip up so they're on a, a nice run of games if you look at Ipswich and we know that they've slipped up but um I'm going back a fair way one two three four five six seven eight nine 10, 11 games they've lost once. Now, I know there's a fair few draws in there, but still, they've lost once in 11 when it comes to the league. Southampton are unbeaten in a, as you said, it's a club record, um, 20 games in the league. 21 if you want to go in all competitions. So, 20 games unbeaten. Now, in that run, again, I'll just count down off the top of my head. One, two, three, four, five, six of draws. So there's not many, really. 14, 14 wins and six draws. That is some record. Um, again, uh, everyone knows I, I do a lot of work for Southampton. So um, they are playing very, very well. They always will concede goals. They've got such a strange goalkeeper who makes some amazing saves, Gavin Bizzunu. But my God, there are some rickets at the back as well. Um, but they are scoring goals and they've got a lot of players going forward who can score goals. They, they, funny enough, if they've got, if you could merge these two sides together, you'd have the ultimate championship side, Leicester and Southampton. Um, they've got the players. They've got some players that we could really do with. 
They've got number eights, which we really could do with um, going forward. And then um, we've got, I would say, obviously a better goalkeeper. They've, they've got a good defence, but they've got a, you know, we've got a better goalkeeper. When we do the two teams, I, I believe in this league, Leeds have obviously got some good players, Ipswich as well, and lower down. But if you were to make a championship eleven this season, very easy to say, oh, it's going to be Leicester and Southampton players. But it really is. It, they, it really is. They've got some players who, if they don't get promoted, they will be at some decent Premier League size next year, um, along along with us. And um, and interestingly, they've got some players who I think this season have been better than ours in positions that you might not um, might not think um, when it comes to like for example, if someone's to say who's the best right back in the league, and many people would say, oh, it's got to be Ricardo. It really has got to be Ricardo Pereira. I'm not being funny, but Walker Peters over at Southampton's been been absolutely unbelievable this season, and he's by far the best right back in the league. But again, we'll come on to that when we play them in the not too distant future. Um, so yeah, seven points clear, but. The the thing that I was getting at was we're playing or we're in a league at the top of the league against teams who are on record-breaking runs and yet we're still seven points clear. Um, our fixtures look like uh, the following, if I can bring it up actually on the right uh, page rather than the Premier League, which I just clicked on. Um, so we've obviously got the FA Cup game coming up this weekend against Birmingham, which I think is coming up an, a, a nice time for Leicester. So after these two games... After the two disappointments in the league, we've got a chance to actually have a, a free hit against Birmingham at home. A chance for first-team players to be rested. A chance for other players to then look at the side and go, hang on, I'm going to be given a, a, a starting berth here or at least get some game time. And if I play really, really well, then there's a very good chance that on the 30th against Swansea at home, I might be able to get a game. So I think it's the perfect kind of game for Leicester at this moment of the season. Then we can play Swansea at home, away game against Stoke, away to Watford, home against Sheffield Wednesday, Middlesbrough, etc. before um, we take on Leeds. Southampton games are not, not actually until uh, mid-March. Um, so that's the way it looks fixture list-wise. Um, I suppose when it comes to Leicester, there's two things which really are, you'd say, the headline moments of the last, say, week or so. Um, and that is our midfield with the lack of a Wilfred and Didi, but the fact that it's not going to be months, he said on TV, maybe a couple of weeks. Uh, but the fact that we don't have uh, Cassidy anymore because he's gone back to Chelsea. So we are relatively light in the eight position, um, relatively. But then also, we need to talk about what happened during the game and the game management, which I think is the number one thing on Leicester's fans' point of view and their minds at the moment. That Certainly with me against Ipswich, the way that we said it, it was coming, I look at the one thing that Enzo Maresca didn't do, and I know it's been highlighted in many places, but it was substitutions. Now, I don't believe, Rob, that substitutions are the be-all and end-all. You know, the opposition, just because the opposition makes substitutions, that doesn't mean that automatically we have to make subs to counterbalance that. That's not the way football works, especially if you're top of the table. But when you're playing at home against a very, very good side who are changing not only personnel, but also changing tactics, 
surely that means that as the side in front, you need to then counterbalance that in some way. And also, by not making a single substitution, it's is it a little bit arrogant? I kind of got that impression during the game. I was kind of th sitting there thinking, well, hang on. These have made tactical substitutions, uh, tactical changes. These have made personnel changes, and yet we're still got we've still got this team on the field of play. We've got to the stage where we're inside the last ten minutes. The flow of football has changed, where Ipswich are now on top and looking threatening. Where are the changes? And then when the changes are made, and copy and paste this for the game on Boxing Day, you bring on at gun for a Dewsbury Hall. So you're bringing on a a lightweight midfielder, even though he's got his own talents, but and he gets stuck in. But you know he's not really an enforcer or you know an experienced head. But you're bringing on him on for a Dewsbury Hall, so you're losing that kind of element to your side. And then you're bringing on Jamie Vardy for Cannon, which is a light-for-light -light swap up front, which, yes, I can see the reason why that's been made, but still, that's not going to change the way Leicester play football. Um, after they score, they bring on Mark Albrighton for McAteer. Now, you could say Albrighton for McAteer would limit you in terms of your breakaway capabilities because obviously you've got the, the speed of um, McAteer, not saying that Albrighton's really slow, but I suppose if you're going to bring on, say, Vardy for Cannon and then Albrighton for McAteer, you could say, well, there you go, you've got the experienced head who can deliver a ball for the pace of Vardy, etc. But why wasn't substitutions made earlier? Why wasn't the midfield reinforced with what Leicester had on the bench? And just to read you the bench... Um, once again, you had Cody on the bench, you had Doyle on the bench, you had Nelson on the bench. So you've got defenders who can come on for players who have started. So the likes of Ricardo Pereira and Justin at the back, two players who could move into midfield. Uh, you've got Chowdhury already in the side. So again, you've got a player there who could be moved around if you wanted to bring another defender on, for example. If you wanted to bring a defender on and then maybe move um, Pereira into midfield. That could easily work. And I know you may be you're saying, OK, bringing on a defender for one of the, the wingers might seem a little bit um, defensive. But still, why not? Um, you've got a defensive midfielder, relatively defensive midfielder in Dennis Pratt, who seems just to be completely out of the blue, but still. Um, and you've got Mark Albrighton, who, in my eyes, should have been probably the one player to at least come on. Um, I don't understand why, say, Albrighton and Cody, for example, didn't come on at the same time. Just to say to Ipswich, almost, look who's coming on. Two very experienced players. One player can come on in case of, in, instead of one of the wingers, so Mackett's here, for example, and then you could bring a Cody on to come onto the into the back line. And imagine their substitutions who have come on, the forward players, and gone, right, they've just brought Connor Cody on for, let's say, a Pereira or, let's say... Um, for for another um, forward-thinking player, or maybe for even just a McAteer and slightly change the formation going forward. Cody fits in at the back, and you have to go, oh, crikey. And then Pereira just slightly moves forward, and thinking, well, again, it, it's 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 just not... It's, it's football tactics, but also it's psychology. You're talking about the last 10 minutes of football. Now, if that takes Ipswich a few minutes to get their head around, and there's a few nice challenges at the back... And a few big headers and clearances that waste a few minutes. 
that goes a long way when there's only 10 minutes of football to play. I might sound like a really old-fashioned person talking about like this, but you're talking about 10 minutes of football. I'm not talking about tactics to start with or to play a, a, a brand new season and we're going to change the way like this to play football. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about almost a good old-fashioned way of shoring up a game. And when you've got all those players on the bench to not make a substitution until the 81st minute and when that substitution's made, it's your centre-forward being replaced with another centre-forward, that, that's pretty poor for me before i respond let me read you this stat and i can't take credit for it because uh i haven't really got the, the is it rob tanner no it's well it might be it might have been lifted from there i've seen it on a on a leicester fan page on facebook and it says of the last 15 goals conceded 11 have come after yeah. the 74th minute so 11 of the last 15 goals leicester have conceded have been after the 74th minute nine of them have been past the 83rd minute so if you're talking about the substitution time there when uh, when things finally started to happen against Ipswich, then that's that's that marker there. That's 11 of the last 15 goals conceded in the last, well, with with it, um, time added on these days, that's probably the last sort of 20 minutes of the game. Now, if you rewind a few months and listen to previous episodes, we're probably sat here talking about Leicester scoring a late goal and sort of regurgitating Enzo Maresca's mantra that games are won and lost in the last 20 minutes. He said something very similar to that, um, kind of in response to people saying, well, why do Leicester just seem to be uh, lacking a bit of ambition in terms of moving the ball forward and moving the ball at pace, particularly in the first half? I know a lot of people listening to this will have been to the King Power and been to away games and watched first-half performances where very little has happened. Um, but it seems from this stat that if we're looking at the last 15 goals, so we're talking a snapshot of, of quite recent form, that those late goals are ended up in the wrong goal, which is quite obviously why some of the results haven't exactly been what would... Uh, what we'd have liked recently. So the question, I guess, is 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 why is that happening? Is it just at the at this? We're talking about patches of form here, and just at this moment in time, it's going against Leicester, and and very soon things will pick up again, and it will all of a sudden be Leicester with the most away uh, most late goals in the in the league. I think we're still quite high up on that list, if not somewhere very near the top in terms of late goals scored as well. Um. It's it's just interesting that they seem to be going in at the other end and being sort of decisive ones as well in the last two games in particular. And now obviously there were other incidents within the Coventry game that, that contributed to that. But if you're talking about the Ipswich game and you're talking about have Leicester learnt anything from Boxing Day, have they found a way to make sure that they see out games when they've only got that narrow advantage? And the answer from from Monday night was uh, was quite clearly not because not only with the substitutions I, I agree with you with your points there I think the other thing I'd say about substitutions is just quite simply a bit of fresh energy because if you look at the players the, the core of the Leicester squad uh, the, there's been a, the, there's a few players there that have played a lot of football and I'm not necessarily saying they would be the ones to come off but to, to get runners around them to get a bit more 
certainly experience. You're right. You're looking at the players on the bench there, and and, and while they are not the most in favour with Enzo Maresca, they're still quality players that are that are very well experienced and maybe should have been turned to. Even if he's absolutely adamant he's not changing tactics, adamant that the shape's not changing, fine. But something to just give a bit of impetus to the players on the pitch who and I mean you should we should have been anticipating it because if you're only one nil up against Ipswich who have very fresh in their memory from less than a month ago the fact that they can score a late goal against the league leaders they're playing with absolutely no fear there was no chance whatsoever that Leicester would get off scot-free at one nil up against Ipswich because there would be that barrage, there would be that time where Ipswich got themselves into the ascendancy, where they were piling on the pressure, and where Leicester would, as as many of us probably thought, fairly inevitably would concede a late goal, and that's that's ultimately what happened. But it, it's just interesting there that maybe, I guess some people are asking the question, are Leicester running out of steam a little bit with the gap getting smaller and these late goals being conceded more frequently? Um the runs could never last forever. We couldn't always be the team that scored the late goal. I, I totally understand that. And only time will tell over the next few weeks and months whether whether the um, uh, HMS Pista League is running out of fuel a little bit. But I think um, I'm, I'm not trying to catastrophize anything, but that's that's one possible explanation. And if you were ever in a month where you might just want to add an extra player or two, January would be the one because that's when you can actually do it. And I guess that that, that could move us now into a, a conversation about the fact that we are in late January and it's it's been made clear in the media that that players would need to be... Now, I, I think the word I've seen is sold in order for Leicester to bring somebody in for sort of financial reasons. But when you consider Cassidy returning to Chelsea... Uh, and Smithy's retiring, then you're looking there at two wages certainly that are that are off the bill. Um, I, I I don't think that the upfront fee for Sensi, who who I mean that seems to just be sort of waiting, doesn't it? Waiting for for a departure. I don't think the upfront fee for that is massive. Um, and and you'd hope that Cassidy and Smithy's wages might make quite a significant contribution to whatever sense he wants, although, you know, he's going to be on Serie A and possibly uh, what he would consider to be a Premier League wage. But, you know, it's... I just wonder if one or two players coming in into the squad might freshen things up, just like one or two players coming in a bit earlier into matches might freshen things up on the pitch. I think uh, we're we, we top of the league. It sounds like I'm being very negative here, but maybe just a couple of different players a bit more energy somewhere there's there's players in there that are maybe guaranteed to start every week that aren't that aren't putting in that extra one or two percent and regardless of what division you're in doesn't always cut it yeah absolutely it's it's I don't believe it's the fact that Enzo Maresca doesn't trust those players who are mentioned the likes of Pratt, etc. I I can't believe it is. Um, I'm I'm just uh, whilst you whilst you were talking, I was just kind of thinking about what I said there about Cody. I, I was discussing this at work today actually, and I, I gave the equation to football fans who 
are fans of other clubs and I just I gave them the scenario of you've got 15 minutes to go against your main rivals for the league at the current time you're winning one nil etc and a lot of them were watching the game and then I gave them the scenario of what was on the bench and they couldn't believe it when I went through the players and went well surely you would bring on a Dennis Pratt's in midfield for for extra bites surely a Dennis Pratt for um Jewsbury Hall would be the sensible option. We know Atkins a decent player, but is he really the player that you want? Um, you know, to come on for that. And then people will say, well, why couldn't you bring on say Cody and then put him in the back line, and, and then you can obviously bring someone into midfield from that back line. A Justin um, could do that easily. Um, said a, a Luton fan at work who obviously would know would know Justin, and then obviously Ricardo we know. So you know, they, they just seemed very obvious. But and I, and. And then they asked the question, you know, do you think that it's the fact that Enzo Moresca doesn't fancy those players? And I said, well, well, distinctly possible. It could be the last few days of Dennis Pratt at Leicester. Um, technically, hopefully it is. Because that would then free up, as you said, a spot in that squad for someone else. If he's not going to be played, if he's not going to come on in that scenario, when we're actually lacking um, two of our number eights who were ahead of in the pecking order, no Ndidi and no Cassidy, who's now not at the club. So the fact that there's two of those and yet he still didn't come on, that that's, he's never going to play. He's never going to play. You know, I'd imagine he'll probably get, I'll probably, he'll probably get a start on Saturday against Birmingham, but that's a completely different scenario. But he's never going to get a game in the championship. Maybe he plays on Saturday just to show everyone what he can do and get a move somewhere. Um, Cassidy going means, which was a big surprise to be perfectly honest. Um, him going means that we do have obviously a lone slot in the side, um, in the squad that will more, it, it has to be filled and I imagine it will be. So I've got no problem with that. And also who could it be? It, I mean, it's a shame that Covayo went to uh, Hull because that would have been a, a, you know, a perfect kind of player, but surely, Leicester are a massively, massively attractive club for players coming into the side. So if you want to come, if if Leicester are interested in buying you, um, surely they're a massive interest because you're going to get a league winner's medal. More than likely, there's a massive chance you'll get a league winner's medal. Um, and you'll be playing in the Premier League next year. So, for, for exa example, Sensi, Stefano Sensi from, from Inter. Hopefully that gets completely sorted and we'll get the Inter midfielder in. And... Um, he looks at, he looks at a very very tidy player I think um, kind of a kind of a, a, a winks mark two essentially and we'll see how he gets on but he looks like he'd be a very good addition because he's a sort of player who would thrive in that side in a different way because he'd be able to keep the ball he's passing and maybe just spread out from him and winks playing alongside each other in what you possibly could call a double pivot etc but two players very very similar who can just keep that ball and pass that ball and keep possession, which is essentially, I think, is what Enzo Moresca wants to do overall with this side. Um, away from those, so obviously you've got the spot for the lone player. You've got Sensi coming in for no money at all. It looks like it's a million quid and then another million quid if they get promoted. But, you know, in modern football, that's absolutely nothing. Um, what else do they need? Do they need another number eight? Well, I think as much as Leicester are an attractive club for players coming because of obviously where they are in the league and what you could get, 
you've also got the fact that the players are already here might not want to leave because of what they've got. You know, they've got in their hands possibly a league winner's medal. Even if they only play a handful of games, they're more than likely going to get a medal. So some players may be looking away and going, well, I'm probably not going to figure in the side next season if they're in the Premier League. But why don't I just hang around for six months on the wages that I am, as long as they've not fell out, maybe get back in the side, maybe through injury or whatever. But in the long run, why don't I just wait until the summer? Um, there's an awful lot of these players will probably be out of contract as well. So there's that as well. You've got more chance of moving. Obviously, if you're out of contract, you you know you could go here, there and everywhere. So there's a lot of reason why it's difficult for Leicester to move players out of the club. Um the fact that Cassanet's gone, and I know he wasn't exactly the crowd favourite, but the fact that he's gone, is it a kind of a bonus in the way? Because he never set the world alight, did he? He didn't set... Um, he, he, we thought he might be a player where if the conditions and the game was set right, then he might really, really thrive. I thought he should have been played an awful lot further forward as a proper number 10 behind the forward because of his size. He added something completely different alongside the likes of Ian Acho, etc. and Daka. But he would have been really different and also a great target man up front to get on the end of a cross from, from those out wide. But that wasn't really a scenario that he was played. So I'm looking at a player there who I think ended up being a really good player, but unfortunately this season it never really worked. So, you know, we, we roll the dice again and we try and get another player in on loan. It might be a more experienced player. It could be someone with a completely different profile. So rather than at the start of the season getting a younger player, who we obviously have gone for, we could now be going for someone quite experienced, maybe from the Premier League, who is not getting in their side for whatever reason. And looking at Leicester going, again, here's a way of getting some football. Here's a way of getting some football at a team and a, at a really good club with great facilities who are top of the league. And again, I, they might have been a player who's in their late 20s and have never won anything and are looking to get a, a medal. So we should really look at this as being a, a, a big bonus and quite excited to who we could bring in. We're going to bring in a nobody now, aren't we? But... The possibilities are all there. You've got to look at it. I look at it on both ways. How difficult it is for Leicester to get rid of players because of the situation they're in. And then, obviously, it works the other way, but they're going to be very, very attractive. So the fact that they've gone, I think, is a pretty good thing. Um, I'd like to see a few more go. Um, the midfield is really the position. We've got, obviously, hopefully, this Stefano Sensi coming in. That's good. I wouldn't be surprised if there's another number eight slash 10 coming into the side. I think that's the position that they'll be looking for for a, uh, a loan signing. Um, and if so, fantastic. I don't think it will be a centre-forward. I think that's something they'll have to readdress in the summer. But for now, I think that's the position that they, sh they should really go for. Who? I have no idea. No one, no one in their right mind would have picked Stefano Sensi as a signing. Um Fingers crossed it gets done. But who they could bring in, your guess is as good as mine. But I'm thinking it will be an advanced midfielder. Yeah, I'd agree that if you're looking at the Leicester squad at current, that midfield area is, is hugely important. I would probably have said that at the start of the season as well, that, that in, in terms of the Enzo Maresca shape and the, and the style of play and the fact that everything needs to be concentrated through the middle and the fact that those 
two box-to-box midfielders either side of Harry Winks are hugely influential in the game. That means that if you lose Ndidi to injury, you lose Cassidy to being recalled, and you're looking at the other players that could come in there, you you know that this is an area that, that if they possibly can, Leicester need to dip into the market. And, and I think the market itself in January is pretty slow until right near the end anyway. I'd, I haven't seen many other clubs making too many big moves. There's been the odd one here or there. But someone like Dennis Pratt, who you, who you touched upon there, he is fit enough to be on the on the bench. Yet on Monday night against Ipswich, we're a bit light in central midfield and it's Ricardo Pereira who starts there. And that's fine because he drifts into that position when he's starting sort of on paper. If you look at the, the lineups on various different websites and, and apps and stuff where he technically starts as a as a right back or a left back and drifts into there. But he, he started in there and, and Chowdhury started in the in the um, fullback position against Ipswich. And I thought Ricardo did very well. Um, lovely weight of pass to exchange the, with the one-two for Mavadidi for the for the own goal that put put us ahead. But the fact that he's being selected there when he's played his entire career at right back or right wing back over Dennis Pratt, over Eunice, who we are being told is better as one of those number eights than he is as a wide player, yet you've got someone that needs to start in there and he's not selected to to start the match and he comes on quite late on as we've discussed earlier on so it's clear that there are only certain players who are trusted to go into that important number eight role in in this Enzo Maresca setup at the moment and you know somebody like Sensi would would come in and, and would go straight into that you would you would imagine all depends on whether you can get offloaded, and that's that's a key point because I'd argue that Leicester is a more attractive place to be now than it was in the summer. We went early with the business on players like Cody and Winks, who clearly bought into to Maresca's style, clearly believed that Leicester would be going straight back up. Uh, as we wanted to as fans, but, you know, a player of Cody's experience and Wink's experience who've played hundreds of games between them in the Premier League, Champions League finals, England squads, you name it, they've been there. They were on board with the project early doors, but it might not have been as easy a sell to to more players. I think I think we signed brilliantly in the summer and, and that's proven itself because all of the, pretty much all of the signings that Maresca has made have have contributed heavily. But now you're in January, towards the end of January, and you're seeing that Leicester are still quite clearly at the top of the Premier League and it would be an absolute disaster if between now and the end of the season they weren't in one of those two automatic promotion places. So you're a player on the fringes of a Premier League side or a player on the fringes of or playing in sort of mid-table in, in one of Europe's other top divisions. And you look at Leicester and you go, hang on, here's a ticket to play in the Premier League next season. If, if there's a if there's a way to, to get out of the club that they're in, to join Leicester in January, you get half a season, you get yourself a potentially a winner's medal, and then you're a Premier League footballer next season. So it is an attractive prospect, but it is a bit of a sticky one because of 
of the fact that the players need to be offloaded as well. I think if you look elsewhere in the squad, um, when once uh, Dakar will be back in a in a few days, uh, possibly not available for the weekend, but but probably for next week. Uh, now Zambia are out. Um, I think Cannon looks like a superb player. Vardy's still knocking about. Um, Ian Acho possibly fit enough to to be playing for Nigeria now. Afcon, you got four strikers there. We're fine for strikers. Wingers, I think in this system, don't matter that much. If if they're really good quality, great because you look at the impact that players like Mavadidi and Fatu have had. Maketeer in in fits and starts, but you could put Marsal in it. You know, if you've got a few games where you've got a limited number of wingers available, you could you could start Marsal or, or or Brighton for a few games, and it wouldn't really impact things too heavily. I don't think the defense is extremely settled, and then you've got players uh, on the bench who can who can slot back into that with Doyle back to fitness with Cody sitting on the bench. Yeah, so it's it's got to be those midfield roles, and and I agree with you, Pete. I'd like to see two players come in in there. Um, but obviously it all depends on who we can boot out the door, which has been a bit of an issue for Leicester in the last couple of seasons, hasn't it? It has. I think you can easily put it down to to success as well, really. You know, you're playing at a club where you've been very, very successful and players get rewarded through success and they end up on big money and unfortunately it's then difficult to move players on because they're earning big money. Why do they have to move on? You know, they're a, they're a very good club with a great training ground. They've been successful. They've been rewarded for that with extra money, etc. And of course, it took a real big drop down in form, didn't they? You know, they ended up getting relegated and in within a couple of years of, of winning the uh, winning the FA Cup and, and the Charity Shield, etc. So it's, it's, it's a dramatic downturn in form on the pitch but of course off the pitch players were still being paid big money and it's going to be difficult for them to to be moved on so it, it the, the kind of a victim of their own success obviously now that's going to change dramatically at the end of the season because there's so many players we won't list them now but so many players are out of contracts and also there's going to be a dramatic change in the squad anyway if they get promoted i was on um i was talking to the Anfield Rap the other day, and they were quite surprised about how how negative I were about Leicester with the team that they've got. Obviously, from their point of view, they're looking at the side top of the league and going, well, is it a case of what would this side do in the Premier League? They, they would be all right. You need, you need about two or three players in the first team and you'd be fairly comfortable mid to low table. So, And I, I kind of went down the opposite way. I, I was saying no. I says the way Leicester are at the moment... Yes, they're playing really well and they're obviously top of the league, etc. But the squad would need a dramatic overhaul because the amount of players are out of contract. They'll need to sign a lot of players. But also, the first team would need to be improved an awful lot as well. And that's a conversation for a different day. Um, They're not going to be signing players. In fact, I say this, they're not going to be signing players with a view to next season now. Obviously, the loan signings, no. But... um, You'd imagine Stefano Sensi would be a player who would make the step up to the Premier League. Um, there's an awful lot of question marks regarding his fitness and the amount of football he's played in the last four or five years. And this is a guy who went for £20 million only a few seasons ago. Um, but he's not played a lot of football because of his injury record. Um, but the side would need a big overhaul, in my opinion. Um, again, that's that's all to come. Um 
so looking at the here and now, it seems like Leicester have almost conquered their. In fact, they haven't. They've conquered their ability to score before the final twenty minutes. Um, instead of scoring in the final twenty minutes and winning the game one or two nil, um, unfortunately they've picked up the habit that you uh, described with that stat about conceding late goals. Um, if they kind of put the two together, they'll be absolutely fine. But um, there's still the the issue about creating clear cut chances. Hopefully. Uh, Sensi, he seems to be a player a little bit more forward-thinking than, say, Winks. He can deliver a final pass. He's very good at passing through the lines. Um, and obviously, if he plays alongside Winks, it would be a different role because Winks would still be the anchor and then he would be one of those two ways. Um, they need something else going forward. We've got some great wingers. Obviously, Fatou not playing is a big um, a big miss and he will be for what another couple of games now after the red card. So um, that's going to be a big issue. We've got the wingers, but you mentioned about Cannon. Um, I was. It's difficult because I wasn't at the game itself, watching on TV. It's difficult to see players' runs and their movement um, away from when they're near the ball, because obviously where the camera is, so you can't see the forward, for example. It's quite difficult unless the camera is right up with play and the forwards included. Um, so someone like, if you were to look at, say, if someone said, right, here's Manchester City keep a look at Erling Haaland's movement. If you were to watch them on TV, you would be able to see his movement because of the way less, uh, Man City would move the ball further forward and they will gradually build up and up. They're so good that you, the, the, the camera and the ball would be near enough to Haaland where Haaland would be on screen. When Leicester, when they're playing, it's not quite the same. It's, it's fairly difficult to keep your eye on the forward and see his movement. But... Um, I've been really impressed with Cannon, really impressed with his all-round game. He's finishing very Vardy-like in, in the goal he scored at Millwall. Um, but I've been really impressed by his overall movements. His hold-up play is obviously very good, strength-wise, etc. And we know he can finish. I like the fact that he also he hits the ball quite hard, very Vardy-like as well. Um, but his movement's excellent. And for a side like Leicester, to have... A forward like him, and also a forward like Vardy, who we know who's got as good of movements off the ball as any forward in the Premier League for the last number of years. For Leicester to make and have the most amount of possession that they have in and around the penalty area, to not deliver a final ball in such with such consistency over the course of a season, to pick out a forward... You'd look at the forwards and go, well, hang on, there's, there needs to. What is the reason? Is it the fact that the forward is not making the right runs, or is it the fact that the forward is not creating the space for himself to be found? Well, it's not the case with Cannon. It's not been the case with Vardy. Um, Dakar possibly, but he kind of gets away with it because he's so quick and he's always on the last man anyway. And 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 Clechi and Acho, I certainly would say so, but. I wouldn't say that. So then you look at the wingers, but the wingers arguably have been our best players this season. But then has it been, have we been clouded by the fact that when the wingers uh, impact a game, we more than likely would say it's through goals. What well, is it through goals? Because they haven't found the forward. There is basically something missing with the forward line at Leicester. There's something missing. They were so good against Ipswich um, from the back going forward through the centre of the field, you know, Vestergaard, through to Winks, etc., um, Dewsbury Hall, but then 
in that final third, there is an issue. Is it something off the field? Is it the way that they've been drilled is so specific with their movements, with players coming deep, making runs, the two number eights beyond the midfield? Is it so regimented? And in their head, they're thinking, right, I've got to do this, this, this and this now because that's what we're working on on the pitch, uh, on, on the training ground. And it's working so well. It's working fantastically. But when they get to the final third, they almost go, oh, hang on. We, we haven't been taught what to do now because in the final third, it needs to be instinct. It needs to be natural. Um, and it's almost like Leicester have got so much going on in their head when they get into the final third, they almost, they're kind of thinking, well, what what do I do here? And then they forget the fact that actually now is the time for them to actually show their skills, show their, um, show what they're worth and, 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 and actually take a risk and do something that's not actually in the end zone risk of blue point and, and have a pop at goal. Um, the amount of long distance shots on target this season, I think has been, is been quite low. Due to, I think it's due to that, you know, the fact that they they they've been set up to play a certain type of football up until the final third, and then they're almost afraid of taking risks in that third. Um, I think Cannon's maybe a slight exception with the goals that he scored in the way. So whether that's something that needs to be addressed with a forward-thinking number eight slash number ten, someone coming into the side who who has that. That bit of creativity that we're we're lacking. Someone who actually will go well. I will take the game by the scruff of the neck. I will do what I want in this final third. Yes, I will play as we go further back the way that the side's playing. But all, I will have that ability to make that final pass. Um, a James Madison would be ideal, but something in that ilk. A Chaplin would be ideal, who's obviously at, at Ipswich. But um, I, that for me, as I was watching the game against Ipswich, that was that was for me because they were playing so well, Leicester. They were playing the Enzo Maresca way. And it was lovely to watch the way that we scored the first goal. And it was an own goal. But great build-up. Fantastic build-up. We've seen it so often this season. But in that final third, it's like a stuttering winger who gets to a, a fullback and starts stuttering because they go, right, I, I actually don't have a clue what to do now. And then all of a sudden they'll try and burst past them or or they'll just end up falling over or losing the ball. I don't like to see that. Um they are a stuttering side in that final third. When it clicks, and we've said this all season, they'll they'll put no end past play, past teams. But it seems that that's we thought they may have got rid of it, but it's really come back to haunt Leicester. They just need to loosen up in that final third. I think you've hit the nail on the head, and the key word for me is is risk and and the balance that Enzo Maresca has to find is that balance between risk and reward, and that that ultimately probably cost us against Ipswich because at 1-0, you can understand, you're 1-0 up against second place. You want to try and retain possession for for as, as long as you can. But the reality of it is you're not going to be able to keep the ball for 100% of the time. You are going to surrender possession, particularly with a team like Ipswich, who've got the tails up, especially in the latter stages of a game that they're, that they're chasing an equaliser in. If you're insisting on trying to keep possession uh, and largely that's easier to do in your own half because usually you've got more players in your own half than them and you've got a spare player almost in the goalkeeper. But the way that Leicester play, there's always going to be the odd time where there's a misplaced pass. 
that that's that's just a fact of it because Leicester makes so many passes that there are going to be misplaced ones and you're going to surrender possession to teams and you can't always get it back straight away so therefore you're going to surrender chances to other teams and Ipswich only needed one of those to to steal a point I say steal that made it sound like they didn't deserve it I think on on balance in terms of that those those last sort of stages of the game they probably did but that's 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 the problem because where if Leicester are keeping the ball for so long and probing and moving in towards the final third yet they're only 1-0 up and and we're, we're talking Ipswich at the moment but I, I mean we've seen it in other games and yes most of those we've come out with a with a one goal win or, or a two goal win because the other team have been chasing the game late on and, and Leicester has scored a breakaway goal fine but Leicester are surely significantly better than most of the teams in this division to the point where they could quite comfortably put two, three, four goals past most of the teams. Yes, again, we've we've talked a lot hypothetically um, on this episode, but and you're not going to be able to beat every team four nil. I totally understand that. I'm not asking for that, but it almost was like when it was one nil. The the longer that went on, the less likely Leicester were to take a chance in the final third. And I just think it's a little bit, a little bit of reluctance there where you might want somebody to take one more chance with a pass or with a bit of individual skill. Uh, because the, the Leicester players individually are talented enough, enough to do that. You've got it right in terms of the fact that they're so, so drilled. Right, he's got the ball there. Which blade of grass do I need to be on? Because I've, I've rehearsed it hundreds of times on the training ground. But the thing is, football's a live game. It, it's no two games of football are ever the same. No pattern of play, no no move is ever exactly the same. And that's that because there's so many things that could happen on a football pitch. That's why so many billions of people around the world watch it and enjoy it. Do you think? Do you think, Rob, that's the problem with with Maresca in terms of what happened at the end of the game with the lack of substitutions? Because that's the way he plays football. It, it, why dis, you can't disrupt the system you know is there an there's an a game but is there a is there a, a, a b is there a plan c you know that's the problem it, it, it well i'm asking you do you think that that's the reason why he doesn't make those substitutions doesn't change formation obviously he has done and he will argue the fact that that's obviously not the case but he'll be sitting there one nil up going well i can't i'm not going to bring this guy on because that would ruin the the plan that we've got, the way that we play, you know, it's so stuck in that way of playing football because it's been so successful, and that's and that's what we needed. That's when we needed this big change. But is it is it almost harming the team in the final third, but also harming what happens in the final ten minutes or fifteen minutes of a game when it's quite plainly obvious to the average football fan that changes need to be made more than the like-for-like like changes that um, that he's that he so often makes. Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? Because we're two Leicester fans and current, former or part-time broadcasters, so we watch a lot of live sport. Leicester are top of the league and we're here questioning the manager's tactics. But but from a, from a place that I totally agree with, yes, 
he's very much, this is the way we're playing. These are the patterns that we're going to create on the football pitch. This is what you do in this situation. Uh, and if you veer away from that, I would imagine he'd have a word to say about it. He'd look at somebody like James Justin, that wonder goal he scored a few weeks back. He said in his post-match interview, he said, Enzo wouldn't have been too happy with me taking the shot from there. So luckily it paid off this time. He took a risk and got a reward. Now, nine times out of ten, James Justin hits the ball from there and, it, and he absolutely skies it. I take that point. So in terms of probability, in terms of percentages, Maresca telling him not to shoot is probably the right decision. But, you know, that does, in my opinion, it does limit some of the creativity and the and, and the instinctive uh, qualities that, that our forward players possess. Because you look at someone like Fatou, there is not a fullback in this league that could stop him. Especially, uh, definitely not a fullback that in this league that could match him, say, 50-50. If they went head-to-head on duels, let's say he got 10 duels against his, his, his fullback in a game, there's absolutely no way that the fullback's winning more of them than Fatou is. He wins that 6-4, 7-3 every time. Yet, you see with him... If, if I'm his manager, and I'm not a football manager, that's plainly obvious. But I would be, right, if you want to play this possession, fine. Keep the ball in the centre of the pitch, fine. Move it across. I think Leicester are very good at switching play. They're very good at sucking a team over to one side, leaving the winger to hug the touchline on the opposite side and pinging the ball out. But I'd be like, get it out to, to Fatou or Mavadidi. Uh, and just have a go at your fullback virtually every single time. Because you've got two number eights in the centre that you would be expecting to attack the box. You've got Tom Cannon, who is a phenomenally versatile striker because he's strong, he's quick, and he's good in the air. So And, and he's a great finisher. He's, he, he seems to me to be the all-round package. So you could put any ball in the box uh, and he'd, he'd be able to attack it or give it a good go. Yet you see, ball goes out to the touchline to Mavadidi. He has a look at the fullback, and invariably he'll knock it back inside to, I don't know, Jewsby Hall, who's coming up, or whoever's playing left-back, and then the ball will be Winks, Vestergaard, Winks, Vestergaard, and then out to the other side. And, yeah, they're probing, yeah, they're stretching, moving players from side to side, but Mavadidi and, and Fatou are two of the best wingers in the league. Give them the ball, let them have a go. That, that personally, is, is what I would like to see, because football matches cannot be won all the time by patterns that you've drawn on a tactics board and moved around at whatever like 50% pace on a training ground they just can't you've got to rely on individual ability of players and we have got some of the most talented individuals in the league so you'd almost want to say to Enzo right fine first third yeah play those patterns make those triangles Middle third, fine. This player comes in here at this point. The ball's here. This player's got to be here. This movement pattern's got to happen. Fine. But then in the final third, have a go, lads. Go on. Because look at what, look at Cannon's first goal for Leicester. A completely instinctive half volley from pretty much around the edge of the penalty area. I, I think anybody else that's been playing more Enzo ball than that or who doesn't necessarily have that striker's instinct, they they get the body in between the ball and the defender, they nudge it back to a midfielder, and that ball gets recycled again. He had a swing, it caught the keeper off guard because it was an early strike, 
and, and that's it. It's almost a little bit too prescriptive at times. And I think that's what frustrates the fans a little bit. And I do think you're right that that's that's what's costing Leicester a bit of a bit of flair in the final third. Yeah, I I also look at just I mean recent goals scored. Um, Southampton scored plenty, scored um, but put three past Swansea pretty quickly in the last game. Four against Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, they won five nil. Fully enough against Swansea actually. Um, at home in the Championship, that would have been the Boxing Day game. Then so, uh, before that, they put four past Blackburn. So they they score plenty of goals, and I I I just believe that's the fact. I, th- I think also it's it's about the support of the players. So you mentioned about the number eights getting forward. They do get forward at Leicester, but if you're a winger and you're getting to the byline and you're pulling the ball back or flashing it across goal, and you've got a centre-forward, two number eights, let's say one in the penalty area, one just on the edge, and also the winger from the other side. That's quite a lot of, that's, that's a fair amount of players who are in advanced positions. And it, it is quite remarkable how Leicester haven't scored more goals in this league. Um, the, this whole podcast, I mean, if other, league, if other fans of um, championship clubs were listening to us, they'd be thinking, my God, them two are moaning, aren't they? And, you know, we are coming at this from a position of, yeah, top of the league. And we, we know when we did the podcast prior about how good Leicester have been this season and rating players out of 10, how many players we give 10 out of 10 for, we, we're not going to sit here and, and um, marvel at what Yannick Vestergaard has been doing, etc. We, we will do this eventually. When they do put four or five past the team, that'll be the game where we do then split it, flip it round and start to, you know, really talk about these players and say, well, actually, when they played in the previous game against Ipswich, Vestergaard had a brilliant game, which I think he did, and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we will come on to that. Don't worry. This isn't just a, a real kind of moaning session, but um, it's such an important... It's it's literally the only part of Leicester's game that I can think of, really, that is the issue. The rest of it is fine. You know, is there an issue with the starting lineup? Um, someone mentioned about the fact that we ask uh, we we ask a question and answer it ourselves <laughs> a long time ago. Actually, that's an awful long time ago when that was mentioned that we do that. I'm going to do that to the hilt now. Is there a problem with the goalkeepers? No, not at all. The goalkeeper's absolutely fine. Is there a problem with the way that we build out of defence? Well, at the start of the season, that's been completely put to one side now because it was new and it was different, very different than what we've had ever. Um, but I think now it's compl- everyone understands the way Leicester play. Uh, the midfield, absolutely fine. The players involved, the new players, or do they feel like, because we've had such a, a well-defined side for the last four or five years, you know, Madison's always been there, Barnes has always been there, Vardy, you know, we've had these players that we, we really associate with Leicester. Do we associate these these new players with Leicester I think so now I really think so um is there problems with the manager etc with what he says no 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 he, he's done everything right you know everything right um the signings have been good everything's been fine um so what is the issue well I think there is the issue is with substitutions which have been quite obvious this season all the way through the season, but then the other part is the final third. So, to do with the whole club, 
those are the issues. I know that there's a little bit about ticketing that I'll, I'll come on to in a minute, but I can't think of anything else really. So that's why when things start to slightly go wrong, you lose to Coventry, you draw at home in the last minute or whatever against Ipswich. That's why we're kind of concentrating on these because they are literally, for me, the only things that are wrong. The rest is so right. So, yeah, it might sound a little bit moany, but it's not really. It's just that those are the only things. I mean, if that's the case, what, a, what an amazing season. And guess what? It is an amazing season. Um, just to go, uh, before we before we come to our predictions, etc., um, just to mention about that, um, won't go into too much detail. People will know an awful lot more than me. People have their own experiences a lot more than me um, when it comes to the tickets. Um, the fact that the tickets haven't been going on general sale. Now, in all of the um, all of the things that happen away from the public eye to do with supporters groups, to do with the Foxes Trust and to do with Union FS, uh, Foxes Trust obviously more universal. Um, it's it's a more universal kind of group of supporters who were set up in in very tough times and have done behind the scenes over the years since they've been um, put into place uh, an amazing amount of work and I think a lot of work that we would have no idea that it's either come from them or something to do with the club um, or some offer or, or whatever has been heavily influenced by them. Um, because that's just that's what they're for, and it will be going on behind the scenes. And then you've got Union FS, who I I think everyone is a you know fully supportive of, and they do a, a tremendous job. We don't know any of them at all. I don't think you know any. We don't know any any of them at all. And we've got they've never been on the podcast and and whatever. I presume maybe one or two probably listen to the podcast. And if you do, there you go. They've been great. The displays have been fantastic. Always like them. They've been you know top stuff and the efforts that they make in making the atmosphere etc um but they've both um representative UNFS and um a representative of fox's trust um i know it's another podcast but there you go bbc radio leicester podcast um they were on there i'd recommend listening to that this week because they've met the football club to do with tickets going on general sale and the lack of which um and i think it's one of the best campaigns that less that 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 supporters at Leicester have had to or, or have made in recent memory. I think it's so, and and the podcast is great because they outline all of the reasons why tickets going on general sale is such a big thing. Um, mainly because it gives fans an opportunity to go to the game that are not members and are not season ticket holders. That might sound dead simple, but who are those supporters? They are kids or people with kids who can't afford or or don't have. A membership because they probably aren't going to go to a game maybe one they might want to take their six-year-old to their first game so they're not going to become members so if you're not a member you can't get a ticket if they go but if they go on general sale you can um and also you've got people who maybe can't afford the membership so they can only go to one or two games a season and if they go on general sale they might go oh right they're on general sale for the fa cup game i'll, I'll go or this league game or that league game um and the tickets were not going on general sale and some games were not selling out um there's a million reasons why they didn't go on general sale and again they go into the reasons why on this podcast and they talk about the conversation that these two supporters clubs group had with the football club and how it's now changed and a couple of recent games have gone on general sale and 
I think it's fantastic, mainly to do with it gives families and people the first chance to take their lad or take their girl um, to a football match. And guess what? As soon as you go to your first football match, you become a supporter of that side. And that person will grow up, hopefully, and maybe a season to get older in the future. Um, and that's how that's how football works. Um, so, yeah, just the heads up on that. The fact that if you've seen tickets going on general sale, um, a lot of work and a lot of, um, well, a lot of applause has to go the way of Unit FS and also uh, the Foxes Trust. And again, it's a, it's only about a 15 minute episode or whatever, but it's well worth listening because I just sat there um, today on the drive back, just nodding my head the whole time going, yep, yep, yep. It's literally, it sounds like common sense, but it just needed those fans groups telling the football club in meetings that they had, look, this is how it works. And I'm sure the football club knew, but every now and again, clubs need that little bit of a nudge from supporters clubs um to do the right thing or just to remind them how it works in in the real world and uh and yeah so they did their job basically and uh, i think a lot of supporters might not understand that or might not know that um and they might not ever hear from the foxes trust or know about the foxes trust for another few years but if someone asked oh what do they do they can now turn around and go, well, one thing they can do, or one thing that they have done, is they've managed to get the football club to put tickets on general sale. So when you, Jeff, went the other week, um, you can thank them. Yeah, it's important that they're looking after the interests of every single Leicester fan, or in, in, in certain cases, every single future Leicester fan. Because I think one thing that we would all pride ourselves on as as Leicester City supporters is the fact that the relationship between the club and its supporters has invariably been one of the strongest in the country that you know you, you look around around the country or through the leagues where there's so much disagreement between fans and and clubs there's so many owners of clubs that are so far detached from the fan base that that keeps the club in existence and our owners have have always been absolutely brilliant in in that respect they're always trying to give back to the fans little little gifts uh on numerous occasions throughout the season the the wider work that they've done from a charitable point of view in the community in hospitals etc you know, you you can't speak highly enough of of that kind of work. They've they've fully understood from day one that Leicester is a family club, uh, and that's something that we can all be very proud of. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the decisions that they make will always suit everybody. So that's why it's very important that that groups like the Foxes Trust and Union Union FS provide a voice for for Leicester fans really, um, and make sure that. It's still a club that's accessible to everybody. It's still a club that will welcome anybody. And like you say, the the people that are Leicester fans that can only get to to the odd game, I'd put myself in that category at the moment. Um, It would be nice if I looked in my my diary and, and in, say, five or six weeks' time, there was a... There was a rare weekend free where I didn't have work or somewhere else to be, and I could go. Hang on, I fancy going down to the King Power to watch to watch a game, 
and I could go onto the website and I could see, okay, that there's, there's a few on general sale. Thank you very much. I appreciate Leicester's a very popular club at the moment and, and there's obviously a reason why they're very interested in, in the stadium expansion because they clearly believe that the demand is there for the tickets and, and that's plain for everybody to see. Um, I think from my experience also in terms of the away tickets, quite a few of, uh, of us thought at the start of the season that, that because uh, it's down in the championship, they might be slightly easier to come by than, than when you're in the Premier League. But, you know, I've got in a WhatsApp group with a few mates who are season ticket holders and they've said that some away tickets haven't even got down to their sort of band of, of season ticket holder points. So the, the demand for tickets is high, which is great because it means that the, the fan base is there. But like you say, when the seats are being left empty and, the, and there's people that are wanting to attend the odd game here or there and are, are really struggling to do so, it's important that that change has been made. And, and it's another nod to the club that they've they've realised, they've listened, they've understood and, and, and they've made a positive change. Yeah, I'm trying to remember actually because obviously you get the um, you get the amount of season ticket holders and then you get the amount of members. I think the amount of members I could be absolutely completely wrong. I think they said there's like nineteen thousand members. So if you're Leicester, you can understand why you got nineteen thousand members. So you need to be a member to get a ticket. It's an obvious thing, but um, obviously we've got the reasons why it's it's in the real world there needs to go on general sale, not just to members. Uh, away tickets is a completely different argument, but kind of the same as well in, in, in a strange way. You know, why why can't they go on general sale um, for for away for away games? I, I would argue that always. And, and obviously from our position, that would be the same. But uh, so, yeah, actually, it would be exactly the same, actually, for an away game. But I know there's obviously security things. That's why they want people to be members, etc. But and, and the fact that season ticket holders automatically get points and you need a certain amount of points for games, etc., etc. But, yeah, so uh, a really good oh, a good job well done by uh, by those. Um, I presume there's plenty of tickets for the game on Saturday, Rob, um, against Birmingham uh, at the King Power in the FA Cup. I'd imagine a much changed side against a, a Birmingham side now uh, under Tony Mowbray, which I think is a very sensible decision. Um, you're talking about owners. I mean, um, what they were doing, no idea. You know, you know, you've, you buy a football club and you have a really good start to the season. Very A very small amount of games, but still, you have a very good start to a season where you expected to probably finish mid to low table. And all of a sudden, you're doing really well. The best thing you could do, and you've got a guy in charge who's a safe, popular manager, back him. That's what you do. You back them. And when the transfer window closes, you carry on and you back them until things start to go askew or you want to go in a different direction. What you don't do is you don't go, right, let's change the manager now who's going to come in and play a completely different way. You know, really change everything. You could have, they if they wanted to bring a manager in to um, to carry on the work that's been done, to play in a very, very similar way, but to maybe bring in a few faces to add something to the club, which obviously Rooney would have done, but to maybe in the transfer window be able, you know, to attract players to to. to continue and to improve on this good start you can maybe see it but to bring someone in who's going to completely change the way they play football 
was was a joke after the start they had. And then, of course, it goes horribly wrong. Very amusingly wrong as well. And I don't mind Rooney at all. You know, whatever. It's... Um, He's, he's don't think he's going to make it as a as a as a top flight manager, but the fact that he's actually having a go as being a manager, uh, I've actually got a lot of admiration for because this guy has earned so much money in his career, and I know money's not everything, but for someone to earn so much money and to easily be, he could have easily been a coach anywhere, so he, not a manager, but he could have been a part of the coaching setup. At Manchester United, for example, on the training ground, uh, you what a fantastic person to you know. If, if in the future, if that's once he, what he wants to do, and Leicester, he came to Leicester, brilliant. You've got Wayne Rooney out with his boots on with the players. That's what you want. That in theory, that's what Vardy will be good at. I don't think Jamie Vardy will ever become a, a manager. You never know. You never know. You know. But I think Vardy would be fantastic on the field of play uh, on the training ground the pl- the lads run out with the boots on to train and guess who's with them it's Jamie Vardy that's why I think it'll be quite good if he stays next season but that's a different argument Rooney the same um, that's probably where his, his best work is not being in charge but he's given it a go so you know fair play to him but of course it goes horribly wrong at Birmingham really badly and quite amusingly let's 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 put it right and then they bring in Tony Mowbray, which from the outset is a very sensible decision and it's the correct decision. But also you're looking at going, you've just gone completely 180 again. You've gone to a completely different style of manager. It's the right decision, but still you're going against your whole ethos and what you tried to do in the first place. Now, what does Tony Mowbray think? Does he think, hang on, I'm going to be here until, I mean, end of day, he's probably on a, on a fair bit of money. But if he sorts them out and they finish... 12th is he going to be like well do you know what i'm going to be out they're going to get rid of me now because they're going to bring their own guy in again at the postseason and 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 it's just going to start again so yeah it's a real real mess um we've not even mentioned forest we might just touch on them at the end but um difficult game um i think it's the it's a great game for leicester it's just the sort of game we need after what's happened in the league and it gives a chance for those, as I said earlier, the players who are not playing to get a game. The likes of Albrighton, the likes of Pratt, possibly maybe his last appearance. Um, maybe he might get in 90 minutes. You never know <laughs> for the first time in a Leicester shirt. Um, they'll change the goalkeeper. You know, they will change the side. Um, maybe probably Fardy from the start even as well. That will, you know, to get him, uh, get him from the start. So overall, I think there'll be a lot of changes. And I think it's going to be difficult because I think Birmingham will want to play a pretty strong side. Um, there's going to be an awful lot of away fans as well. Um, they're going to be loud. So I think it's going to be a, a rather more difficult than when the draw was actually made. Um, but I'm still going to go for Leicester to win. But I'm going to go for a, a pretty close game. I'm going to go for 2-1. Um, Leicester to progress. But... I think it's a lot more difficult than it appeared from when the numbers were drawn out. I still think Leicester will go through, um, but I think Birmingham are going to be very strong, pretty direct, um, but Leicester overall to sneak through in a game where, if it does go wrong and they get knocked out, we want to progress in every tournament. And the way Leicester are this season, they sh- if they get you get to the latter stages of a cup, you never know. 
But if they do lose, it's not the end of the earth. No, it's not. Can you imagine what what some Birmingham City podcast hosts have been talking about in the last few months? You know, we've we've been doing this for many many years now, and we've been on on a significant roller coaster of of managers being sacked and unsacked, relegation, uh, great escape. Premier League champions, FA Cup wins. We, we've seen an awful lot in the decade that we've been doing this, but a little snapshot of Birmingham City's season. You start really well, you're like, hang on, we've been wallowing in mid-table of the championship for God knows how long. Could this be our year? This is all going nice and smoothly. And then you're like, hang on, we've just sacked the manager, but Wayne Rooney's in. Now, OK, could have kept the manager, but... It's Wayne Rooney, isn't it? Like, despite the fact that his managerial career has not exactly set the world alight, like you say, big draw, big name, could then see a few players coming in that you wouldn't necessarily expect to join uh, Birmingham City under under John Eustace, and then all that optimism, potential positivity, is sapped away very quickly by some shocking form, uh, and then you bring in Tony Mowbray, who is. I mean, he's the. If you had to pick somebody who was the sort of standard championship manager, it'd be him, wouldn't it? You know, you just, I think he's a good manager. Uh, he, he did a decent job at Blackburn, I think was his most recent job. He's been Sunderland, you know, he's been around. He knows what he's doing. But I, I don't think if he ever took over at Leicester, you'd be particularly inspired by it. But you, you're in a safe pair of hands. So you've gone from. Decent start, blockbuster manager, steady championship manager. But that that will that like you say that does make things a little bit more difficult for us because they've picked up a couple of wins. Uh, they've what, two wins, two draws, last four games, looking a little bit more like they can pick up a result against anybody in the league. And like I said earlier on, you get two or three wins in in the championship and you, and you start climbing the table. I agree with you. It's not the not the end of the world if we do get knocked out of the FA Cup, but at the same time, a bit of uh, uh, it helps with the continuation of momentum, and I reckon on a on a proper cup tie, when there's a place in the latter stages of a knockout competition at stake, and another chance to test yourself maybe against a Premier League side, I back Leicester to do pretty well in the in the FA Cup. So it's one that you want to get through, really. You want to get through it unscathed. You want to get through it by getting uh, some minutes into the legs of players that that have been sort of on the fringes a little bit. But I think you'll see still a very strong side. I think you'll see the majority of the the spine of the of the team still intact. Uh, based on the fact that we've whinged about it for the best part of an hour, I'm going to back Leicester to go one nil up and hold on to it, and we'll we'll beat Birmingham one nil. That's what I'm saying. One nil. Well, we'll take that, um, and then we roll on to the game against Swansea, who are a, a very interesting side. Um, they've obviously brought in um, the new manager from Notts County, who's obviously done very well there. But they've um, they've been soundly beaten in a fair few games. Obviously, they, they were beaten by um, Southampton, although they were they were all right late late on. They were, the game was already over. Um, it's it's a home game in the championship. Leicester are obviously going to be the pick. Um, 
I'd imagine, obviously, there'll be a lot of changes from the side uh, that play against Birmingham. You never know. There could be a loan signing in that side. There could be a new signing from Italy in the side. Um, but ultimately, we're going to go for a, uh, a Leicester whim. They are a different side to what they were um, under Russell Martin. Um, they lost, obviously, their star striker to Leeds at the start of the season. I thought that they might be, they might have done better than they have. Um, I said at the beginning of the season, didn't I, that Leicester, uh, in the league, there's about, probably about 15, 14 or 15 clubs who will turn up at Leicester who were basically the same side but wearing a different shirt. And the one or two sides away from the, the really um, top teams like Southampton, etc., and Leeds, uh, who might be slightly different to that are oh, the likes of Swansea. I, I said them, but it hasn't quite worked out. They um, just seeing the score tonight. They got spanked in the FA Cup tonight, so they lost five nil to Bournemouth, and they were five nil down at half time. I don't know whether you've seen that, Rob. Um, they lost against Southampton at home. They drew away at Birmingham. That was a very very late Birmingham equaliser. Um, so you got, obviously, the two sides that we're going to be playing up against there. Um, a good win against West Brom, but draws, big defeat at Southampton. They're very much an in-and-out side. They're down towards the bottom end of the league. Um, I'm going to go for a comprehensive Leicester win, regardless of what happens on Saturday. It's when you're trying to predict the second game in a few days. It's always We always say that you know, it depends what happens in that first game. I don't think it actually matters what happens against Birmingham. Um, I think they're going to go with their... I think Maresca right now would be able to name the team who plays against Birmingham and the team who plays against Swansea. Barring injuries, I think he knows exactly the two 11s. And I think there's going to be arguably eight changes between them both. Um, or maybe more. So I don't think it matters what happens against Birmingham. I'm going to go for a Leicester win... And I'm going to go for it clicking. So I'm going to go for four. I'm going to go for four nil. I was not expecting that because that's what I had in my head. And I thought you were going to go, ooh, four nil. What are you talking about? So I think this might be the second podcast in a row where we've agreed on a prediction. I had four nil in my head way before I thought you were going anywhere near it. So that means if we both predict it, it's going to be horrendously wrong. But four nil we're going for. Um. Just to finish, because we've been, we've been going on for a fair while, but uh, just to finish, just a little bit on 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 FFP and and not the the details about it, but basically how it feels from a football supporter's point of view. Um, Everton, um, I get what their fans are about. I I get it. I know what they're what they're on about. I'm not too sure about holding up those red cards, etc., at the game or pink cards, whatever they were. Um, but I understand why they're frustrated. But, on the other hand, you've got a club who's been involved in relegation year after year after year, who are building what looks to be a tremendous stadium, who spend an awful lot of money on players, and ultimately admitted that they broke the financial rules. Now, the whataboutery about other clubs is a very easy thing to do, but you're not a supporter of another club, and unless something rather dramatic happens at that club, 
where it's very, very obvious they signed a player for 200 million, then you could, you know, Chelsea would be the one where I'd look at and go, hang on, what the hell is going on there? Um, then you don't really have an argument just like at Newcastle. Newcastle can't sign anyone, they need to sell players. Almiron might go, etc. I know there's a bit of, you know, hoo-ha about where he's going to go, etc. with the ownership, but that that's that's proof of how this system is is starting to work the fact that they they just can't go and buy someone they need to sell first also the amount of money spent in this transfer window is essentially hardly anything um so i can i can understand it from their point of view because they're annoyed the fact that they've had points taken off them and nothing's been done about other clubs like man city but the other hand again their club admitted that they broke these financial rules and they went ahead and signed the player when they knew that was the case. Um, then you look at Forrest, and I'm sorry, but th- the one thing I will say, I know an awful lot of Forest fans, you know a lot of Forest fans, everyone knows a lot of Forest fans pretty much who listen to this podcast, it's just the way that we are with where we are in the in the world. I Actually, I don't, I've not heard many who have kind of kicked off about it. Because it's so clear, it's unbelievable. When they went, when they got promoted and they signed all of those players, and everyone was laughing, it, it was it was like, hang on, if you go down, you're massively in trouble. But they didn't go down, so but they continued to spend money, and it turns out that they've broken the rules, and they've broken the rules because at the time they were going to sell Brennan Johnson to Brentford, they were going to sell him to Brentford for lots of money. And that was going to keep them in the black. And they didn't, because at the time they decided not to. And then a few months later, or a month later, they ended up selling them to Tottenham. But in that month, the deadline passed, and they broke the rules. But it was well advertised that they were going to break it, unless they sold him to Brentford, but they pulled the plug. They've continued to sign players. They're continuing to sign players. And also in this window, players have started to leave the club. But the players who have left the club, you're like, he's never played for them at all. He was one of the 50 signings who have never made it. Um, It's something that Leicester are right in the middle of because we can sit there and kind of laugh about it and go, ha, 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 and all this. Well, we got relegated on the back of this. So when people say, well, does it really matter? You know, there's, of course it matters because Everton finished above us on goal difference and Forrest were only a point or two above us in the first place. Leicester never signed a player in the se- in the transfer window before the season started, until the last day or two, because we needed to sell Wesley Fofana first, so we stayed within the rules by not signing anyone, and we end up getting relegated, and the two teams who, feed- <laughs> who finished immediately above us on goal difference and by a mere few points, are the two sides now being put back to rights. So, have they cheated their way? to survival in the Premier League. I think Leicester completely deserved to go down. Of course they did. But there's the proof. So on one hand, I get it from an Everton fan's point of view because they're looking at Man City and Chelsea going, well, come on. But also they've admitted that they're in the wrong and they've had punishment already. The fact that they're going to have a second one before other clubs, you kind of, you know, come on, Premier League, pull your finger up, out, you know. But Forrest... I'm sorry, but this look, this is just clear as day. Everyone knew it would be the case. And the second point, if they go down this season, which I don't think they will, but if they do, 
they're in massive trouble because a lot of their players, the Athletic reported the other day, a lot of their players do not have, or the vast majority, do not have relegation um, uh, cutting wages if they go down. They're, they're banging trouble. So we'll see what happens with this. But if they get points taken off them and they go down, Forrest are in a whole world of trouble, which can seem funny, and it probably will be, but um, I'm sorry, but we all saw this coming a mile off. I hope they don't get relegated because I'm working on their pre-match fan zones at the minute, and they'd be out of, <laughs> out of about that. wouldn't they, if they got relegated to the championship? That'd be a, that'd be a source of income down for me, wouldn't it? Um the one thing about the Forest thing is they they're claiming the the delay of the Brennan Johnson sale as as a mitigating factor as to why they shouldn't be penalised and this is where things get a bit sort of there's a bit of a grey area because I, I agree in principle with the uh, financial fair play um, it does go some way towards preventing um, clubs from buying titles essentially. Uh, still not totally because I think it's it's based on the percentage of your turnover or, or whatever. I don't know exactly the ins and outs of it, but ultimately the clubs that are making more money can spend more money as a as a result of a percentage of their of their profits, whatever. Um, but but Forrest's argument is that from purely from a business point of view, they they could they they have an asset right in Brennan Johnson and and yes. We're talking about a, a person, a, a footballer, but but if you're looking at it as a business transaction, it's a business with an asset, uh, and we're talking supply and demand, and you're talking the the time of the timing of your sale, and if they'd have sold him earlier on in that window to Brentford, one, it's Brentford, two, it's early in the window, you're not going to get anywhere near as much money as you did for him when you sold uh, sold him to Spurs. So purely from a business point of view, you can understand the argument that they say that in terms of our business interests, we've got an asset that we know at this point would be worth X amount of money more. Uh, and therefore, in in that respect, we are doing the opposite of trying to break the financial fair play rules. We're actually trying to make ourselves some more money so that we can balance the books. Um I'm not speaking in favour of Forest or against or against Forest. I don't know enough about it uh, other than than that's their that's their claim of mitigation, uh, and I can understand it. So you've got to look at financial fair play and think: right, do these cutoffs work? Is there a way that the system could be streamlined so that you've not got all these retrospective point deductions, so that you've not got Leicester fans who are wondering? if this had been looked at there and then or or as close to there and then as possible, whether Leicester wouldn't have got relegated because there would be reason to deduct points from from teams for, for things that they'd done that season. I appreciate that these things do need investigating. There has to be a, a sort of course of justice, if you like, and, and potential for appeal and all the rest of it. So I know it's not just an instant, you've spent this much by this date, you're getting deducted this many points, end of. I, I appreciate it's a lot more complicated than that, because there's a lot, a lot of books that need balancing, there's a financial years, there's tax years, there's all sorts of stuff going on. But it, it is, in theory, it's a, it is the right way to go about it. But I just, I just think everybody's frustrated with the fact that it that it takes so long, and 
you know, look at us. We're, we're talking about being over halfway through a championship season where we're top of the championship and where we've actually said on numerous occasions on this podcast that getting relegated was a good thing for Leicester. Um, we could be talking about being miserable in 19th in the Premier League right now if, if Forrest had been deducted some points, if Everton had been deducted some points last season and we'd stayed up because, like you just said, we absolutely did not deserve to and we wouldn't have been in a position to do as much of a sort of reset and restructure as we have. So... It's is ifs and buts, but I just think the the delay in it and and the fact that you know look at somebody like Man City who who can pay for the most ridiculously expensive lawyers who can pull every reason out of the bag to delay and delay and delay and delay. And like you said, Everton could have had two points deductions between then. So it's it's got to be a fair system. It's got to be one that moves a bit quicker, I think. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. But I'm just. Touching, touching wood, crossing my fingers that uh, Forest don't get relegated. Yeah, the, the the one thing that Leicester will have to be, and this will affect Leicester for a few years, and the one thing I don't like is the three-year rule. So essentially, it's based on the last three years. So Leicester, and this is where Forest have come foul, because, for example, this year, the three years, if you go back from Forest, this year in the Premier League, previous year in the Premier League, previous year in the championship so that's why they can't spend as much as the others because they've got that championship season where their revenue was an awful lot less now i'm hopefully in the in the in the future leicester will be in that position where they're in the premier league for at least two years where we can turn around and go well it's not fair that you're going back three years because of that championship season I, I think it's quite unfair I can't see why it can't be two seasons I think two seasons is absolutely perfect essentially if you get relegated to the championship then you've got the previous year's um, income from the Premier League so basically you don't have to sell every single player that you've got <laughs> you've still got that one year worth of income from the Premier League so you don't just have to have a fire sale because every single club would need to have done that. So I get that. Um, of course, Leicester have got two years of Premier League football behind them so they in that three-year cycle. So they that's why they didn't have to do that. They, they got rid of, obviously, players who, who were going to go anyway. But when you get promoted, that three-year becomes a real handicap it becomes a real dead weight on the end of the club that you're towing for a long time. So next season, Leicester will have a season in the Championship and two seasons in the Premier League. The relegation season, season in the Championship, and then the season in the Premier League. Season after that, Leicester will have the season in the Premier League, the season that they got promoted to the Premier League, for the first since, since since this season and then the championship one so in two years time they'll still be dragging that championship season it, I don't think it's fair I don't think three years is right I think it's a big handicap for sides getting promoted um, and I think it's a I think two years would be fine but I also think two years would be fine um, better if it's uh, if you get relegated. I, I can't see why three, but but there we go. That's my own point of view. So, um, but I will I will say I've not seen an awful. I've not seen hardly any Forest fan actually going. Well, hang on. I don't think this is not right for us. You know, we I don't think we've done anything wrong. I think the vast majority have gone. Well, we did sign a shed load of players, and then we've done it again. We didn't, and then they've listed. We didn't need so and so and so and so, and the list is about eight or nine players for a combined however 
however much money it's ridiculous but there we go um it's an interesting scenario and again with leicester the fact that we're slap bang in the middle of it because of the relegation season and the two sides above us but also because it's going to be it's going to affect us massively when we get promoted you know we're not going to be able to spend an awful lot of money when we get promoted because of because of this um you know but then again what we've seen in the past when we get promoted you don't have to spend an awful lot of money you need to just buy the right players and hopefully we'll get some players in before the deadline because uh, we could do with one or two especially going forward uh, from midfield so we'll see what happens in the Premier League oh, in the Premier League <laughs> we'll see what happens in the FA Cup we'll see what happens in the Championship and we'll be back some point next week Rob towards the end of next week if I can manage it I've got parents evening and a forest game so I'll do my very best bloody hell right no worries well if not we'll be back uh, probably the week after so that's it for now it's been a very long episode if you want to get in contact with us at Pod on Twitter or for Fox 8 Podcast at gmail.com when it comes to the email. Anything else, Rob? No, I'll see you hopefully next week, but if not, um, we'll aim for 10 days-ish. No worries. That's it for now. Up the city.